0: For for tonight, didn't mean to go into all that. Uh, so let's get into the message here this morning. Uh, if you want to kind of get a head start, uh, we'll be in Leviticus tonight or this morning. So if you're thinking, "Oh man, I almost went deer hunting this morning," <laughs> and uh, and I went, decided to come to church, and he's going to preach out of Leviticus, you know what I mean? So, but be patient. Give me give me a chance. It won't be as bad as you might think. Uh, but you might uh, you can get a head start there in um, uh, chapter chapter nine of Leviticus. Uh, so while you're finding that, let me just kind of. You know, if you were here last week, or uh, maybe if you weren't here, but you maybe watched it on uh, YouTube or something, uh, I preached about the expressions of worship. Um, that worship is literally is the expression of gratitude towards God. It's, it's when we take what's, what's going on in our heart, the gratitude and the thanksgiving in our heart, and we express that. And there's different ways to express worship. Uh, there, there's singing, clapping hands, raising hands, kneeling, tithing, offerings, helping other people prayer, communion, uh, and then using our gifts you know, within church worship and leadership, running sound, leading worship, secretary, cleaning, mowing the lawn, anything we do where we use our gifts for God is an expression of our worship. We're not just talking about it, thinking it, but we're doing it. And so this is going to be a little bit of a, I'm going to piggyback just a little bit on the back of last week's message um, and carry on with that because I kind of ended it last week talking about basically the fact that with God, when it comes to our worship, whatever that expression is, because we're all different. We, We express our worship in different ways. And so whatever that expression is, um, God is more concerned about, uh, he's not as concerned about uh, how and where we worship as much as he's concerned about why we worship, right? The, the condition of our heart, our motive, um, and so I want, I want to kind of carry on that thought just a little bit here uh, this morning. And so, the title of my message is Strange Fire, okay? And you'll kind of know what, that, what I'm talking about here as we get into this. I'm going to read Leviticus 10 and 1. I'm going to read this verse uh, in the King James, and then we're going to pray this morning. So, Leviticus 10 and 1 says, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer. A censer was like a little vessel or a pot that they burned incense in. And they put fire in it. And put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. Let's pray. Fathers, we come before you this morning once again, God, as we, we turn to the pages of your word. Your word that is truly a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our pathway. And we don't take lightly this morning the privilege we have to hold this word in our hands. I, I don't take lightly this, this morning the privilege of, sh- of sharing it, of preaching your word. And I realize that I can't do that in my own flesh. God, it takes your spirit to anoint me as a vessel, God, to speak into the hearts of people, and I pray that you do that. God, as you examine our worship, as we examine our individual worship, I pray, God, that we would offer you a a worship that is true, a worship that is heartfelt, a worship that is sincere and not strange fire. God, not worship that's just built in our own thoughts and in our own ways, with compromise in our life, but God, that you would really get the best of us. Again, we, we look to you, and I believe this morning that you can bring eternal fruit from this message today, Lord, if we receive it. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody, give me a big worship shout of amen. Amen. All right. So, all right. So, Nadab and Abihu offer strange fire and that God had not commanded them. What in the world does that mean? You're saying, yeah, typical Leviticus. Okay, well, let's back up into chapter 9 and get a run in at this thing, and you'll see kind of what it's talking about. So in in, in chapter 9, verse 22... Uh, and even before this maybe go back just a little bit further So the Israelites are basically living in the desert Okay, they're going from point A to point B And so God had Moses and Aaron Aaron and his sons were the priests And he had them build uh, a, a big tent Okay, it was called the tent of the, of the congregation Or the tent of the meeting And so basically what it was It was a portable church It was a big tent And they carried it everywhere they went And this tent was set up a certain way and I do not get into all the details of that But God had it set up a certain way And one of the things in this tent or this portable temple, if you will, was the altar of burnt offering, okay? So uh, in the court of this tent was a big altar. Uh, It was probably about three and a half feet high, uh, you know, maybe about a little bit taller than this stage, uh, about seven and a half feet square. And so they would, that's where they would burn the calves and the goats and the lambs and, you know, people bring their sacrifices and they would, there was different offerings they had to give, one of them being a burnt offering. And on this altar is where they would do that. Okay, so that being said, that brings us into God is basically establishing how that burnt offering is supposed to go. Verse 22, then, then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people. This, this is basically the very first. They're dedicating the tent. They've just now got it built, and now they're getting ready to start using it. This is literally the very first burnt offering in this tent on this altar. Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting and when they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire, get this, fire came down from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering, and the pieces of fat on the altar, and when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. As you can imagine, so, I mean, imagine if today just this big ball of fire flew down from the sky, I think we'd probably all fall on our faces and shout, right? And so, but here's, here's the thing that's important about this. Aaron gets the, the burnt offering all set up. He gets the the bull or the calf on there. All the wood gets everything ready, but he doesn't start the fire. Okay, now, if you're gonna have a burnt offering, you gotta have fire. But Aaron didn't do the fire. He didn't start. He didn't get his little twig or he didn't get out his, you know, his matches or lighter or anything like that to start the fire. He just prepared it. And God himself from heaven is the one who started the fire. Literally, you can picture this in your mind. It's beyond our, this, this ball of fire that comes down and literally consumes the, the sacrifice and starts that fire. And it's from that fire that every sacrifice was to be offered from then on. The fire that God started. Say that with me. The fire that God started. Not the fire that man started. The fire that God started. And so that's, that's the fire they would offer their burnt offerings. And there were other things that the priests would do within the temple. One of them being they had their censers, their, their little pots that they would burn incense on. And that incense represented, as that incense would, the smell of it would go up in heaven. It represented the prayers of the people, the worship of the people that would ascend up before God and be a sweet-smelling savor unto him. And so when they would burn uh, incense in these censers, guess where they were supposed to get their fire from? The altar that God started. Amen? The fire that God they were supposed to take fire from off the altar, the fire that God started, and that was the fire they were supposed to burn their censer with, or their incense with. But they they skipped a step. They they didn't take that seriously, and they thought, well we'll just what difference a fire is fire, right? And so we just they made their own fire. They got fire from somewhere else, some common fire. Maybe somebody had a campfire burning outside the tent and they was like, oh this will work. Just they just used some common fire that man started. I mean you know there's a difference. In a fire that God starts and a fire that man starts. Uh, Today, this morning, we're here and we're saved and we're excited. We talk about those goosebumps during worship. It's because we are warming by a fire that God started, not a fire that man started. God's spirit that come down from heaven to enable us and to empower us to worship God the way that we should. They just took some common roundabout fire, any old fire that man started and that's what they were using. And so let's read a little further here in chapter 10, verse 1. Now, Nadab and Abihu, by the way, you uh, young couples that are at the point of one of these days, you know, soon having children, consider these names for children. You know you want Bible names? Can you imagine naming your in, in, in 2021 or 2022? Imagine naming your son Nahab or, or or Abihu. I mean Nadab or Abihu. Be like. Abihu, you better get up for school. You're late for school. Or their little brother come in and say, Mom, Nadab and playing with matches. Right? You know what I mean? It's like, that's kind of an odd name. But that's what their name was. Nadab and Abihu, they were the sons of Aaron. Aaron was the, was the lead priest. Okay? It was his responsibility to make sure that the worship in the, ta- in the tent went the way it was supposed to go. And his sons, his lineage, his descendants would be the ones for many generations that would handle this. So his sons... That knew better. They knew where they were supposed to get the fire from. They just The Bible says, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized, the, King, the uh, ESV says unauthorized fire. The King James says, offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came from before the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron this is what the Lord said among said among those who are near me I will be sanctified and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. I mean, you can imagine as it, from Aaron's perspective, he was maybe upset a little bit. Man, my, God just killed my, my kids. And, 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 but, but mostly, and we can, you know, it's hard for us to grab a hold of this in an age of grace. Aren't you glad that God doesn't just, when we do something wrong, God doesn't just, you know, send fire out of heaven and consume us. We're living in a different age. We're living in grace. But, it, but God is establishing something in this day, in the Old Testament law, that basically says, you have to do things my way. Is that too much to ask from the God who created the universe, right? And so, it's it's almost like they they use this strange fire, this fire made by man, and God says, no, this fire, right, and consumes them. So, the idea is this, is that Nadab and Abihu had this mindset, well, I'm just going to, I serve God in my own way. I've heard that. I wish I had a dollar since I've been in ministry. I wish I had a dollar for every time I've had somebody tell me, well, I worship God in my own way. Well, we can't do that. We can't worship God in our own way. We have to worship God in God's way, right? Now I get it. I mean, there's times we all worship differently. And, and when we say, well, I worship God in my own way, different ways and different worship, and I get that. But the bottom line is God has established a means for worship, a means for salvation, which only comes through Jesus, right? Well, I, I, I just, I connect with God my own way. You can't do that. You have to connect with God through Jesus, amen? These guys said, well, I'll, I'll just use man-made. It's not that big a deal. I'll serve God in my own way. It was a blatant disregard for how God wanted things to be done. And I, I propose to you this morning that even still here today, even though we're living in grace, and thank God for that, but there's still a way that God wants things to be done, Amen? In the way that we worship, in the way that we live our life, in the way that we serve him, there's a heart that God ultimately is looking for. Not the way we do it, but why we do it. Amen? That's the most important thing. It's the difference between mediocre worship and passionate worship. Amen? I think that an uncommon God deserves uncommon worship. Don't you? An uncommon... If he was just a common guy, there was a song back in the 90s. There's a lot of good music back in the 80s and 90s, and this song was not one of them. Uh, but it, it said something, I can't even remember who sang it, but it said something about what if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us. You remember that song? Stupid song. <laughs> but, but if he was, if God was just like us, if God was common, then, you know, I mean, we could give him just common worship. He wouldn't be, wor- but is God common? Is he usual? Is he normal? Is he like us? No, thank God he's not. He's uncommon. He's awesome. An awesome God deserves awesome worship, don't you think? That's what God is ultimately saying to these people. I I want to be, I want awesome worship. I don't want just the common man-made, that that comes up in the mind of people. God says, I have in my mind an idea of of worship that you can do that will glorify me. That's the kind of worship I want you to have. You have, you know, in, in a marriage, everybody has... You have an idea of what you think you want your spouse to be, right? This, you, you, you say to your spouse, this is what you can do to make me feel loved. Because everybody's different. God, God said, here's, here's how you can worship in order to make me feel loved. I'm, I'm, don't treat me like a common God. Don't worship me. Don't serve me on the side. God is, God is not the fries. He's the Big Mac. Amen? I just made that up. That was pretty good. I got I to remember that. I didn't make it up the the holy spirit put it in my mind let's put it that way i won't take i won't take credit for anything that i say up here today but um we 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 don't serve god on the side he's got to be the main attraction the main dish amen our life has to revolve around him we don't carry god in our hip pocket we put him in front where we follow him we like for god to follow us right I'll go my way. I'll live my life. God, you follow me in case I get in a pickle, and I can call on you, and you can get me out. I mean, just be honest. Isn't that in a lot of ways how we worship God? God said, "That's that's common fire. That's that's strange fire. I don't even recognize that as as worship." I, I want I want you to fo- I want you to follow me. God says, "I'll lead you, and and you follow." We we desperately need. Well, let's put it this way: We desperately need. The fire of God to fall and consume us. Amen? That we might die to ourselves. So, just as, a, as an illustration. These guys offered common fire, strange fire that God decided, I can't recognize that as worship. And, the, and he, he consumed them. He fi- fire came from heaven, he consumed them and they died. But if you look at that in a spiritual sense, the the fire, the Holy Spirit that God sent from heaven, that is designed to burn out the sin and the lust and the selfishness in our lives, amen? To, to help us to, to die to ourself. Do I live for me or do I live for Jesus? The only way I can live for Jesus is for me to die out to myself. And the only way I can die out to myself is if the Holy Spirit, the fire from God comes and helps me to do it, amen? Does that make sense? So Jesus, if you remember last week, Jesus, I quoted Jesus in which he, was, he said... In vain they worship me. He was talking about some of the Pharisees and people that, uh, with their mouth and with their actions. I mean, they kind of went through the motions of quote unquote worship. But Jesus said, really, in vain they worship me. Teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Literally, Jesus saying, I do not recognize their acts of worship as acts of worship, because they're just that. They're acts, right? Their acts, they're, they're going through the motions. It's all pretend, it's in, it's in vain. Everything they do is in vain. When they go to church to worship me, it's in vain because their heart is, is not with me. Right? And the, uh, I, remember, I remember when I was a kid growing up, I remember my pastor always, uh, he'd always say, uh, Folks, we got to quit playing church. Say that a lot. The preachers in that that old those old-fashioned preachers would always say that we got to quit playing church. Stop playing church. And I never knew as a kid. I never really knew what that meant. I, I remember whenever me and my cousins were all would all get together. You know how when you get together with, with cousins and stuff, you play house and you play different things like that. And, you know, well, the boys never wanted to play house, but the girls always were up to play. But we play house. And and we would play church. We would we would pretend and the, like we were having church. One of us would get up and preach, and one of us would sing. We would we would play church, and I always felt convicted about that. You know, I always felt like I was sinning, like I was doing something wrong, because Brother Lowell said we're not supposed to play church. Uh, and, and of course, he's not talking about you know kids playing church. He's talking about playing church in the sense that we go to church and we go through all the motions, we sing the songs, we raise our hands, we do all of this stuff, but it's all play. It's all an act. Our heart isn't in it. It's mediocre. It's common. It's strange fire. And we do got to stop playing church. Amen? Uh, <clears throat> be more, you know, church is not the, the end all be all. know, I go to church, I'm fine. God says, yeah, that's good. I want you to come and worship me in church. You need to. But um, Jesus didn't die on the cross to get us in church. He died on the cross to get us into heaven, right? He died on the cross to mend the broken relationship with God so that when we worship God from a sincere heart, God can receive it. Amen? That's the point. It's it's the why we worship, not necessarily the how. Paul... In in 1 Corinthians, he says this. He's talking about love. Basically, he says, if you don't have love, if, if you're if love is not your motive for whatever you're doing, then it's it's worthless. And this he says this. If I give every listen to this, if I give everything I have to the poor, every penny, I empty my account, sell all my assets, everything I have, I sell I give it to the poor. That'd take quite a sacrifice. Or if I give my body to be burned, if I get, literally die, maybe get in an airplane and fly it into a building. I give my body to be burned, as an act of quote-unquote worship, but if I, if I don't have love, I gain nothing. Think about this. If it's not done, if my motive is not love for God, because that's the two greatest commandments. Jesus said the, first, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And when you love God with everything you are, your worship's gonna be pure, amen? Love God with all your heart, and the second is to love your neighbor uh, as yourself. So our motive in worshiping God is our love for God. Should, should be. Not, not for necessarily what we're going to get out of it, but, but it's my motivation is, is love for God. He said, basically, if, if all these things you can give your body to burn, give everything you've got. And he says, I can't even recognize that as worship. Man, what a, what a waste. Imagine selling everything you got, giving it all away, and thinking, okay, that'll do me. And God said, no, that wasn't even worship. You'd be back like taking stuff back from the poor people you just gave. I was like, oh, I just did that for nothing. Yeah. Because your heart wasn't in it. Amen. It wasn't, it wasn't a true. Remember, remember last week we were talking about Jesus uh, um, visiting with the woman from the well. And he said, God is searching for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. What were those kind of worshipers called? True worshipers. Right? God is looking for true worshipers that will worship be in spirit, not just in their flesh, not just going through the motions, not just robotic, but in spirit and in truth from our hearts, from our inside, from our with all, with all every fiber of our being. So, when I'm thinking about this and think, okay, well, if, if he's talking about true worshipers, then that gives the indication that there are fake worshipers, right? God's looking for true worshipers, so that means that everybody who considers himself a worshiper, so there, there, there's gotta be some fake worshipers out there, and so, Let me take you back into uh, the Old Testament for just a second to kind of get a picture of what God is looking at when he considers what fake worship would be. So you can turn, if you want to, in Isaiah uh, chapter number 1. Isaiah chapter 1, verse verse 9. I'm going to lose the jacket. So let me read this, and then I'll kind of explain what he's saying ultimately. Isaiah 1 and 9. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, the King James says, a remnant, a few people that are still staying faithful to God. We should have been like Sodom and and Gomorrah. We would all have been destroyed by now. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Uh, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifice, says the Lord. Listen to this. I have had enough of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. Okay, so... You think it may not mean anything to you, but it's it's odd in the sense that God established those sacrifices. Those sacrifices were God's idea. He said, "I want you, to, I give you blood for the for the atonement of your sins. You offer the sacrifice, I'll forgive you for from sins. That was God's idea. But now He's saying, I, "I'm," He said, basically he's saying, "I'm sick and tired of your sacrifices, even though they were technically doing what God wanted them to do in in offering the sacrifices." But then they were also worshiping other gods you know they were they were ripping people off in business deals they were gossiping about people and running one another down they were lying they were cheating they were stealing but they were offering their sacrifices you you get the point god's saying look you guys missed it I, i mean i yes i want you to offer the sacrifices but you're just going through the motions i don't have your heart so I'm kind of tired. It would, be, it would be like God saying to me, Dennis, I'm kind of, I'm kind of tired of your songs. I'm kind of tired of your, your preaching. I'm kind of tired of your prayers because your heart just ain't innocent. You're just going out there and you're living like you want to live. You're lying to people. You're cheating. You're stealing. You're, I mean, you're doing all this stuff. And then you come and worship me. And God says, that's not real worship, right? It's not real worship. He says this verse 12. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of the courts? Bring no more vain offerings. What does vain mean? Useless. Don't bring any more vain offerings of incense before me. It's an incense, an abomination to me. Uh, new moon and Sabbath, all these celebrations that they would do required by the law. He said, I can't endure it anymore. Your new moons, your, your appointed feasts. He said, my, my soul hates them. Verse 14, uh, they've become a burden to me and I'm weary of bearing them. They're acts of worship. He says, I'm weary of, of them. When you spread, look at this, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. And your hands are full of blood. And so on and so forth. He goes on to say to them, basically, God's saying, I want your heart. I, You know, how many of you believe, I know that when we get saved, we're not perfect. Amen? And I would never stand up here and tell you that you're never going to make mistakes, that you're not going to fall short. God's grace is... Carries us through that and I'm not saying if you fall short or you 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 make you commit a sin and stuff that okay Well, this service is not any good God's not gonna hear me because I I did that no No, no. I'm talking about there's a difference in a Christian who loves God with all of their heart who falls short every now and again There's a big difference in that and somebody who Goes through the motions that doesn't really want the gospel to change them any you know if I if I commit a sin If I fall short and my heart breaks for it I say God, I'm sorry. I, I sinned before you and I'm convicted, my heart breaks, and I confess that to him, and I say, God, I want you just to continue to change me. There, there's all kinds of grace for that. That's one thing, and God still receives that worship. But if, if I'm just saying, well, I you know, I don't care what, really what God says about this, that, and something else, I'm just gonna live however I want to, and I live in compromise, and I don't wanna be changed. I wanna just be who I am, and I don't want to be changed, but I still wanna go to heaven. And God says, that, that's different. I, that's God said, I can't see that as worship, and he's saying, but here's the great news here's the way God because he's saying to them to the Israelites okay it's all vain but let's fix it remember because God's a fixer he doesn't just point his finger at us and yell at us and tell us how wrong we are without providing a solution are you glad for that that's what the cross was all about the law the Old Testament was about pointing out to us that we're sinners but the cross was the solution that we wouldn't have to die in our sins Jesus says to him in verse 18, it's like God's gathering them together. Now come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If, everybody say if. That's a big word. Small word, but it's got a big meaning. If you are willing and obedient, that's the key. Willing and obedient. That's what true worship, true worship worship can only come out of a willing and obedient heart. You get that? If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land, but if you refuse and rebel, you will be eaten by the sword. That's the reason. He said, let's fix this thing. Let's just fix the heart and all will be good. The more selfish, now think about this, the more selfish we become, the less our worship means to God. Doesn't mean that he stopped loving us, but the more selfish I am, The less my acts of worship mean to God. It's when I'm selfless. When I put God above myself and others above myself. Because that's the teaching of the gospel. To put others before ourselves. To put God first. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. God first, people second, us third. Amen? That's the design. The more selfish we become, the less our worship means to God. He goes on in verse uh, 22, I think it is of... Of Isaiah, he says, your silver has become dross, your, your best wine mixed with water. So, ultimately what he's saying is your worship is polluted. It's kind of watered down. I wonder, and I'm just talking to me. You guys may have all this figured out, and I may, this, may this, this sermon may absolutely be useless today because you guys have got it all figured out and you don't need it, but I need this. And I wonder to myself sometimes when I look over my service to God and my worship to God, can I honestly say it's been 100% pure? Has it been watered down a little bit? There's been times in my life where I have to be honest that I've given God kind of a watered down version of myself, amen? He deserves better than that. He deserves pure worship. Would anybody agree with that this morning? In, in Jeremiah, you don't have to turn there, but in Jeremiah, it kind of says somewhat of the same thing. God basically, he's, he's speaking to his people and he said, you, you kill the innocent. You do all of these things. You just live in complete compromise and then you come you know, into the temple and you lift your hands and, and worship me. And God said, there's, there's a breakdown in communication here. Compromise pollutes our worship. Again, it's not that we're perfect people, but we shouldn't want to live in compromise. There should, there should be something in the heart of a Christian that wants to know what's right and wrong. Amen? That wants to know what pleases God and what doesn't. And here's the thing. When you get saved, you're going to, and, and, and some, some things change immediately. Other things, you keep kind of doing what you've been used to doing, but then the Holy Spirit comes along and says, here's a better way of doing this. God is gentle. God is loving. He's not out to just beat us, browbeat us all of the time. He's He is molding us and shaping us into true worshipers. And the true Christian should want to be a true worshiper. Amen? So I'm going to ask you four questions. I asked you some questions last week. So I'm going to ask you, uh, I think it's four. One, two, three, four. Four questions. We think about, okay, we want to be. if I want to be a true worshiper of God to where the things that I do as an act of worship, God will receive it as true worship and not an act. Here's a couple questions you can ask yourself. One, <clears throat> am I, whatever I'm doing, whatever my expression of worship is, am I doing it for God's glory or my glory? So if I want to express to God my worship for him by lifting my hands during a praise song, am I doing it? as though I'm the only person in the room? I mean, as though, I, I'm, I'm literally, I'm, it's like I'm making eye, t- eye contact with God and I just want him to know how much I love him and appreciate him. Am I doing it for God's glory or am I doing it because, boy, everybody's gonna see me lift my hands. You know, everybody, I'm gonna look a little extra spiritual because I'm, you know, it's all about the motive and nobody else will know that but God, amen? So the question becomes, whatever that act of worship is, am I doing it for God's glory or my glory? question within that question if no one sees what I'm doing but God am I okay with that if I I engage I express I do an expression of worship giving maybe I I give give an offering that's one of them that's one way to express worship to God you know giving an offering into the church or, or helping somebody that's in need whatever so if I do that and nobody ever knows about it but God am I okay with that Or would I kind of rather everybody know how much I put in the plate? How much, you know, uh, I'm going to make the pledge. And I mean, do I kind of want people to know what I've done to get, I mean, everybody likes one of these, right? Everybody likes a good pat on the back. But when it comes to worship, God says, what you do in secret, I will reward you openly. When we give, when we do things, we pray, whatever we do for God, it's a matter of his eyes only We don't care if anybody sees it. We want to let our light shine, but we're not doing it for the eyes of man. If nobody ever finds out about it, are you okay with that? That's something to ask yourself. Am I, second question, am I giving God, and I kind of, I'm going to repeat this question from last week. Am I giving God my best or am I giving God my leftovers? Am I giving God my best, my first? my whole heart, or just kind of what I've got left. The time I've got left, the energy I've got left, or if I'm giving everything. And, question within a question, if I'm giving God my leftovers, am I at least being honest about it? Right? If I'm giving God what's left in my life, am I at least being honest with God about that? Because that's a good start. I was thinking about, I was thinking about Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira is one of those new, I mean, we read about Old Testament stuff where people are, God's letting, you know, making people drop dead, and in the Old Testament, we don't see much of that in the New Testament, except for Ananias and Sapphira. It's a husband and wife during the early church, right after Jesus had ascended to go back to heaven, and the church was really getting its legs under it. People were getting saved. And so well, this man, this husband and wife, Ananias and Sapphira, you know, in that period, uh, the church, people were selling their stuff and bringing all of the, the money together uh, and just giving, you know, divvying it out as people had need because they their job was just to get the gospel out. And so that's what they were doing. Well, Ananias and Sapphira, they they sold some property and they brought part of the money to the disciples. To give to them. That's. I don't think that's where the breakdown. I don't think that's where the problem was. That they they gave part of the money. The problem was they gave part of the money, but they told everybody they gave everything. Amen. See, they were they were given leftovers. They were given half of themselves, but they just weren't being honest with God about it. I, I really do believe. I mean, I'm just reading between lines. This is just Dennis's thoughts. I really do believe. If they'd have come and said. Uh, You know, we sold our property for $100,000 and, you know, we're, uh, you know, we're going to keep 50, here's 50,000 of that, you know, or 40, I mean, whatever, here's, here's 10% of it, whatever, they're giving, you know, part of it. And they said, this is part of it. I think all would have been fine. Personally, I mean, that's what I think, because they'd have been honest, but God takes it personal when we say we give everything, we act like we couldn't possibly do more for God, but we, we do less. That was the point, I think, with all of that. So, third question. This is a big question. You, you You may have to chew on this a little bit for the next few days. Is good enough really good enough? Isn't that deep? Is good enough really good enough? There are some things when you're doing something, you're putting, you know, you work working on something. And sometimes you can come along and say, well, that would be, be better if I went on. But it, it's good enough for what it is. And there's a time for good enough, but not in our service to God. Not, not in our worship to God. I wonder how many of us, including myself, at times think, well, I'm, what I'm doing is good enough. <clears throat> does God deserve good enough? Or does he deserve our best? Does he deserve half my heart or does he deserve all of it? In Matthew, I'm, I'm going to wrap this up. But in Matthew chapter 26, we read about a woman. In fact, I want to read this to you. Matthew 26 verse 6, we read about a woman. This is an example of true worship. An example of not, of not just doing good enough, but giving God the best. Uh, Matthew 26 and 6 um, says, Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, of very expensive ointment. And she poured it on his head, and he reclined at a table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. How many of you say given to the poor would be an act of worship? Be a good thing? Look at this to the rest of this. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the world, the whole world, let me say it again, everywhere the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, and now that it's in the Bible, you can say of every generation, what she has done will be told in memory of her. There. Jesus is having dinner with some very religious, nudie people. And this woman comes in. This woman that she is so overwhelmed with gratitude of the grace and the mercy she's received from God. And she wants to express to Jesus that that she loves him more than anything. She brings this expensive, this alabaster box of ointment. Very expensive. I think one of the other Gospels of court just gives a bit of a, of a, of a dollar figure. But literally they say that the, the worth the worth of this ointment or this perfume or whatever it was, was the worth of the worth of this box of, of, of perfume or ointment was, uh, it cost about a year's salary. It was very expensive. I mean, it's not like this just, she had to do without sodas for a week. I mean, it was a, like a, a year's salary, a huge sacrifice. Literally what she was doing was symbolizing to Jesus, I will hold nothing back from you. Lord, I will give you everything. She breaks it and she pours it over his head and And the disciples and some of the others around are just like, well, that's a waste. What a waste. She's giving Jesus her very best, and they considered it to be a waste. We do things for God, folks. Don't ever consider that to be a waste of time. So you could have given this to the poor. Jesus said, well, yeah, that's great, but I wouldn't consider that an act of worship because it's not the best. You You guys can give to the poor and still have a bunch left over. This woman is just laying it all out there. If anything, I hope this morning that I can encourage you and challenge you through this message to just simply hold nothing back from God and lay it all out there. Here I am, God. What little there is of me. I'm broken, I get that. But here I am. I yield to you my whole heart. Do with me what you want to do. She could could have gone cheaper. You know? I mean, she could have just, She could have, like, dumped a bottle of Brute on him or something. You can pick up a bottle of Brute at Walmart for about 40 cents. She could have went cheaper. And it's still still been somewhat of an offering. But she decided not to go cheaper. Not to go, to give him everything. Give him best. Again, that's not, when I say cheaper, it's not a money issue. It's just, there's lots of times that we can get by giving God less of ourselves. Or... We can express our full gratitude by giving him all of us. Amen? Our whole heart. I, <clears throat> would, God, would God say this to you, God, to, the, to his people in Malachi? He said, when you offer blind animals in a sacrifice, in other words, they, when they give a sacrifice, they were supposed to give their best. But they got to where they would give the blind animals. They weren't giving the best. They were giving him good enough. I'll take God Is God, God, God understands. God. I wish I had a dollar for every time I heard that. Somebody doing something completely opposite of what God wants them to do. God understands. No, we don't. He wants us to do things His way. There's just a right way and a wrong way to do things. There's, and He wants us to do them His way. And so, but anyway, what was, I, what was I saying? So they bring in these sacrifices and they bring the, 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 the little lamb that's you know, gimpy and dragging his leg and stuff. Well, I'll, I'll give that to God. That's good enough. Is good enough, really good enough. God wants the best. Anyway, he says, you're offering your blind, crippled animals to me. He said, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame and sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept or show you favor? He said, you're giving me stuff you wouldn't even give to your governor or to your president or to your boss. We we take God for granted we know he's a gracious God. We know he's loving. We know he's forgiving, and I am so very thankful for that. So I'm not up here to say, you gotta give God your best or he's gonna, he's gonna torch you, or he's gonna stop loving you, or you're not gonna go to heaven after all. I'm not saying that. I'm just trying to say, is God, and this is the, the fourth question, is God worthy of my worship? Is God worth it? Is God worth giving him my best just because he's God? You see, where I'm, you see where I'm going? Not because I'm trying to keep myself out of hell or trying to... Is God worthy of my best? Is he worth the worship? <laughs> yes. Yesterday. Actually, it was the day before yesterday. <clears throat> Brady and I had just a little bit of time in the afternoon. Finally got to slip out into the woods uh, to, to bow hunt. And uh, he shot a, a nice little buck, a little eight-point buck. First buck he's ever killed, first bow kill. He, he shoots it. And, uh, of course, it runs off. We give it time. We go and we look at his arrow... And, uh, you know, not not to get gory for you, those of you that are weak about this, you don't like hunting type stuff, but, you know, usually you can tell by looking at the arrow, by the the kind of blood that's on there, how good the hit was if you hit lungs and stuff and so on, so on and so forth. And that tells you how quick the deer's going to die because they run off. You don't know how quick to go after them because if they're not dead and you walk out there to try to find them, you can literally, they just get up and keep running and you never find them. So we, we look at the arrow and we think, okay, that, that doesn't really, that doesn't, it, it, we decided it would be better to just back out, go home, and go back in the morning when he's had time to lay down and, and die and we'll go back and look for him in the morning. So that's what we did. So the, the bad thing about that though is as we're leaving and there's his dead deer is laying out here in the woods, we hear, oh! Right? All these coyotes are just everywhere. They're like, oh, man, we're going to come back to a carcass. We're, I mean, we're going to go back, it's going to be like a spine laying there. These, do- these coyotes are going to come and, and, and just pick the bones clean. And um, So anyway, we went back in the morning. Long story short, we went back in the morning. We found the deer. Thanks to Zeke, uh, Mark's off. Found the dog. It was amazing. But anyway, found the deer, and the deer was good. It was For the most part, the meat was all there. It was intact. It was, it was all good, but there was a big hole in it where the coyotes had gotten to it. So the coyotes did some damage in the guttle area okay and so the guts are hanging out and it's it's not pleasant okay gutting a deer is not pleasant anyway but if you got a deer and you get in actually like into the guts it's really not pleasant horrible smell and so (laughs) he's He's standing over this deer and he's pulling all of the stuff out. He's he's a trooper. I mean, he didn't. He just got right in there and this. I can't explain the smell, which I have a I have a quick trigger gag reflex anyway. I mean, I just when when I I can look at something, I can gut the deer, I can smell it. But if I get a real whiff of something horrible, I'm gagging, I'm throwing. And so I'm standing there, I'm trying to help him explain to him, you know, how to do it and what to do. And and so, so, so I'm going I'm going. And I'm talking, well, you need to, you need to take the the leg, I just keep gagging. I finally have to go way over here where I can't smell it, and I'm yelling to him what he should do. And it makes makes me want to gag just thinking about it. I'm I'm not lying. I'm not lying. It was horrible, horrible smell. So, but here's the thing, the reason why I tell this, the reason why I tell this story is because... He's standing over it. He, he gets his, I guess he's got his mom's stomach because she not, nothing you know, smells don't bother her. He's standing right in the middle of it, and he's pulling all this out and stuff. And th- but this is why I tell the story. As he's pulling all this out, and it's, man, it's not that he can't smell it. I mean, obviously, it stinks. But he keeps saying to himself, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. I mean, he killed his first buck. Something he's always wanted to do. And it was worth going through the stinky in in order to to get what he really, that what he was looking for, what his desire was, it was worth it. So I'm thinking to myself, as I'm, if I questioning myself, is God worth my worship and stuff? And I think, man, we put ourselves through a lot more for a lot less. We'll go through all of that, go root through the guts of a dead deer for a trophy, but yet we cut God short. It's, it's not that we would ever say he's not worth it. But I think if we would stop and ask ourselves, we do something, okay, this, is, this stings a little, I'm having to give some time that I'd rather do something else, but God's worth it, right? When it comes to our worship, God, God's worth it. Maybe, maybe you come to church and you don't, you don't feel good or you got a lot of stuff on your mind or you're mad at your husband or your wife and you just can't get into the worship or whatever, but you, you stop and you say, yeah, but, but God is worth it, amen? It's worth going through some stuff and being a little uncomfortable if I have to, as long as God is honored in my life, that's what matters. Alright, I'm going to leave you with this. I'm going to kick us back to Leviticus and leave you with this thought. Because here's, here's just a small tip here for how we keep our worship pr- um, uh, pure before God. Um, you don't even have to turn there. This is actually found in Leviticus chapter 6. When God, again, is giving instruction for what the burnt offering is going to look like. And what the responsibilities of the priests would be in order for the burnt offering to go the way God wanted it to go. And this is uh, Leviticus 6 and 8. Excuse me, it says, uh, the, Lord, uh, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth of the altar all night until the morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. That's important. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning. Okay? And the priest shall put on his linen garments and put his linen undergarment on his body. And he shall take up the ashes. There was a certain way they had to do this. There was a certain way they had to dress even. Um... In order to, to do this fire, um, to take up the, the ashes to the, which the fire has uh, reduced the, burning, the burnt offering on the altar and put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments, put on other garments, carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning and he shall arrange the burnt offering on it and shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. Fire shall be kept burning on it, on the altar continually. Everybody say continually. The fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. Again, we're talking about the fire that God started. Amen? God says, I'm going to start the fire. And it's up to you to keep it burning. What What are two things you have to do? Have to do in order to keep a fire going. You have to take the ashes off of it or it'll build up and smother the flame out, and you have to keep putting new wood on it. Take off the ashes, put on new wood. God says, I'm gonna start the fire, you gotta keep it going continually. So what's that look like to you and I? If you're here this morning and you're saved, it's because God started a fire in you, amen? Through his spirit, he has come and started a fire in your soul, cleansed you from all of your sins, and we're going to be saved. I'm not talking about we got to keep doing all of this to stay saved. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that we got to start this fire in us. And there's some things that we have to do in our life to keep serving him passionately. I hope you understand where I'm coming from here. And the way we do that, A, you take the ashes off. There are, sometimes there are just things in our life that just smother and suffocate our relationship with God. Have you ever been there? I have. Things in our life. Sometimes there's sinful things. Maybe there's there's sins and there are temptations that we're struggling with. Uh, secret sins that we just struggle with that. And those, those are ashes that we need to, that, that, that we need to ask the Holy Spirit to take those ashes, take those sins away from our life. Sometimes it's not necessarily sinful things, sometimes it's just distractions. We'll do anything in the world for anybody. And then sometimes not do anything for God. We'll run here and yonder. Take, we'll take our kids to every practice and every ball game. And I'm not, I'm not knocking that. We did the same that's good. I'm just saying that we'll do what we want to do. And there's some things in our life that we will spare no cost, no time. We'll do anything for something. And God said, there's nothing wrong with that. But hey, that's supposed to be the fries. Right? You know, the the, the activities. Your, your Your kids, your family, all of these things are great. But they're the fries. I'm the Big Mac. So we need to sometimes get the ashes and the distractions and things out of our life. And then we just a, have to add new kindling, add new wood. We, we gain more and more knowledge. This is, our, this is our kindling. This is our wood. We gain, the more knowledge we gain about God and God's word, the more that fire kindles within us. Being here, being in church, engaging in worship, coming to, to youth group, coming to uh, adult Wednesday night Bible study, all of these things that we do, we're adding Kindling, we're putting wood on the fire, we're we're keeping going what God has started in our heart. Amen. Don't let let the fire go out. Don't let the passion cease. Don't be content with mediocre. God's not a mediocre God. He's not a common God. He deserves awesomeness. Amen? Amen. Bow with me this morning. Father, we come before you today. Lord, as I have delivered, Lord, as I have delivered my soul today, <clears throat> the word that you have placed in my heart, and I pray God that it's sufficient enough, Lord, to get the message across, that every person in this place today, from the youngest to the oldest, from the one that served you the longest, the one maybe that's just recently been saved, whatever be the case, that we would grab a hold of this word as a word from you, that we would examine our hearts examine ourselves examine our own worship our own expressions of worship our own motives and be honest before you today that if we're not giving fully if we're holding back on you that today we might all have a moment of surrender god where we can give to you our best even though lord that seems like such a seems like such a loaded thing to say and we wonder when we say it even if we're going to be able to carry it out we'll be able to perform and Lord we know that's not what you're interested in you just want us to be honest before you to evaluate where we're at right now and where you want us to be God let's let there be some real going on in this place this morning as we all pray individually towards you as we search our hearts help us to be honest with you And we ask you to change us. And we realize that you're patient with us during those changes, that the changes don't come all at once, they don't come overnight. You're changing us day by day by day, little by little, you're changing us. And just help us to be that clay in your hands, not to fight against you and not to be selfish, but to be yielded that you can make us what you want us to be. Hallelujah. Make us true worshipers. Spirit, truth, the kind of worshipers you're looking for. God, I pray as you search the hearts of every person here today, for all those in this place this morning, for all those watching by live stream that are not saved. And I know, God, that you are the most concerned about them in this moment. That you want more than more than anything, God, to show them today how much you love them. That you want to save them. You want to cleanse them from their sins and bring them into a relationship with you. And I pray, God, as the enemy fights against them this morning, that you would just break through all of that. Break through all of the lies, all of the confusion of the mind, and save those who are lost and undone. Help them to see you today as you truly are. Help them to see themselves today as they truly are. That they might be born again, born into your kingdom. It's a work that only you can do when they become honest with you today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Sweet, sweet spirit here this morning. As they sing today, we just want you to begin. Just keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. I know that's not the, it's just important because sometimes we just have to get quiet before God. Sometimes when we just bow our head, we can just not be looking around. We're not distracted. We can just really focus on ourselves and and God. And so I want to encourage everybody in this room to have a conversation with the Lord here this morning. If you're saved, uh, let God examine your heart today. Be honest with Him. If you're not saved, call out to him this morning and ask him to save you. God, I, I realize I'm a sinner. I know that I've sinned against you and I know that I need to be saved. I need you and I ask you to forgive me my sin. Start that conversation with him. Step out of your seat. If you want to come up here this morning to one of these altars, you can kneel down at one of these altars. You can stand up here. We'll pray for you if you want to just call one of us back to your seat. Whatever. However you feel the most comfortable. But we want you to, to be saved this morning. To, to leave this place today knowing that that you're ready for heaven wouldn't that be a great feeling if you've been kind of worried about it you've been kind of worried about whether or not you're saved and what would happen to you if you die and that it just kind of eats at you out wouldn't it be great to leave here today knowing that you're saved and that you don't have to worry about that anymore would you come to jesus this morning and be saved as they sing these altars are open me near Hallelujah. Near